Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat it, it Up, up. the podcast where we have bites from places in our neighborhood and then talk about bites of history. Wah, wah, wah. So well put, Maria. So well put. <laughs> she's so eloquent. She is a, she's she a writer. Is. She's a speaker. <laughs> speaker. She's a slam poet. A slam poet. That's what she's It's coming for. through. Expressing yeah. all of her feelings. That's what I'm best yeah. known for. <laughs> I love that. How are you? Um, as we talked about earlier before this call, Sam, I am too mm. hot. I am too dying. Hot. Oh, it's a heat wave, folks. We're, heat wave. we're doing this in the middle of the heat wave. And I don't know if anyone who's tuning in from the States, it's real hot across Canada right now. But I mm-hmm. will speak out for my province in that yeah. BC homes in the lower mainland, for the most part, were not built with AC because we really don't need it. Um, however, it's been, it's going to be about 40 degrees today, and it was 35 yesterday, and it will be 40 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we're not coping well. It's too hot. It's too, <laughs> too hot. hot. And it's yeah. even, Sam was saying, it's really hot in Calgary, yeah? It is, it is. It's hot here. I think it's hot. I think it's hot all along the western, like, seaboard. Right. Basically, of, of like, U.S. and Canada. Um, oh. And that includes, I guess we're not really the seaboard, Alberta, but, like, we're the <laughs> western part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So close to the sea. But we're, you know, western Canada. <laughs> yeah. But um, fortunately, yeah, my parents' home does have AC, so... A blessing. I'm not trying to brag. It's just you're just like, oh, I'm just staying cold and crisp in here. I'm just yeah, Don't it's worry cool. about me. <laughs> no, um, but it is. It's absurd. It's getting that hot. I don't want to say the words, but climate change. GW know. global warming, baby. <laughs> G dubs. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not good. No. Um, so so what is what's your snack? What are we eating? Um, okay, yeah, I'm having a chocolate croissant, a pan au chocolat oh. from. Black Sheep Bakery, oh. which is just on 17th Abbott's right by my house. Um, and the people there are French. I didn't realize. But when I went oh. this morning to go get it, they were like talking to each other in French. Wow. And I was like, I'm on to you. And now that you're bilingual, you're like, I can eat it up, honey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I rolled in the <laughs> podcast name there, Brandy. Yeah, Brandy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I honestly couldn't really understand them because they were talking really quietly to each other. Oh, and okay. um yeah, but anyways, they're French, and I'm and I'm eating a pan au chocolat. So I'm gonna be curious about your review because your last pan au chocolat you said was the best you've ever had, better than any in France. And so I'm oh, yeah, curious I'm... how this stacks up, being that it's made by French people. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Okay, yeah. Um, what did <laughs> so you what get are you ready, croissant? Um, I also have a croissant this week. Mm, okay. So mine is from. Okay, so it's sort of odd, but basically, there's a couple cafes around Vancouver. They're called Nemesis. Mm-hmm. But the baked goods in them, they'll come in a box that says Dope Bakehouse, but there's no, like, I haven't found a place where Dope Bakehouse runs out of its own thing. It seems to just run through Nemesis. Mm-hmm. So anyways, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's this new, okay. like, basically Nemesis had two locations. They just opened up a new one, and it's, if you ever come to Vancouver, we're going to us, because they, okay. the architecture, it's by the Emily Carr, like, University of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's basically built to, like, look like, like a blooming flower. So it's all oh these like God. red bits that like come up to the top and like open up like these stripes. Wow. And then you walk inside and it's like very airy and cool and it's circular. It's very interesting. This is a, this is Nemesis? This is Nemesis. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It's like a very cool cafe. Um, yeah. And they, one of their iconic desserts or treats there, it's mm-hmm. a rhubarb croissant. 
so okay. it's basically this croissant it looks like a regular one but then it has like stripes of like bright pink on the outside and then it has like a couple mm. like um little sticks of meringue on the outside like right pink meringue. Okay, gotcha. cool. so yeah i'm that having a rhubarb really croissant yeah i'm That's really excited for it mm-hmm. i can't say i entirely fuck with rhubarb but i'm That's, glad they, they had some do. really cool things like i got my dad a chocolate caramel croissant and then they had like almost croissant muffins that were filled with like this blood orange creamsicle thing so which sounds odd but i would go back and buy a box of six right this instant so Mm. it's honestly it's all been very delicious so far i've saved this one for us so we'll see (laughs) i feel like on this pod like you represent like adventurous like dessert eaters and I right. represent boring like there's kind of something for everyone like I basically get a chocolate croissant every second week or a scone and you always <laughs> get like some crazy flavor combination that's I feel in my head to me you're like the classic person who likes chocolate desserts and will not venture from that basically and that's fair and there's a lot yeah. of people like that most people in my life are a chocolate or nothing kind of dessert person so you represent a very critical demographic Good. Okay. Chocolate hive rise up. You are valued. Your opinion matters. You guys are so valid. You're incredibly valid. And don't ever let (laughs) haters tell you that you shouldn't like chocolate. And there's another round of therapy for you. Free of charge. You're welcome. Boom. Boom. Okay. Sunday sermon with Sam and Maria. (laughs) This is our homily. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready. So um, today we are talking about one of my favorite people from history of all time, mm-hmm. which is Rasputin. Total sex symbol. Total sex Russian symbol. sex symbol. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I love him. Ah, and like, even I think what got me so hooked was in grade 12, my history teacher was mm-hmm. upset. Like she was crazy about the Russian revolution, et cetera. And Rasputin was mm-hmm. a huge part of that. And for like a month straight, she would make us listen to Boney M's Rasputin song every time we Mm -hmm. walked into class and even she would get them to play it on the PA for morning announcements. So like you'd be going to class and be like, and it was like, it really hyped us up and I fell in love. She got, she got me into it. But yeah. Okay. I'm excited to do this. Um, I feel like, I feel like the way I know about Rasputin obviously Mm -hmm. is through you, but before that was always through, um, the czar's hemophiliac son yes that Rasputin. don't want to spoil but like Rasputin was kind of brought in to try and like help heal or yes. whatever because in life sciences classes they always talk like we never stop talking he's like about, the most famous hemophiliac of all he time. is and we never <laughs> fucking stop talking about the blood clotting thing i don't know if, yes. i don't know if you're familiar but the blood clotting series is the most insane series of like biochemical reactions ever there's like 15 oh. million steps and oh. in every bio class ever you have to like learn some of them like not right. all of them but like a couple of them and then yeah when we talk about clotting disorders it's always like yeah so that's how that's my point of entry okay well excited i actually was going to call upon you to explain a little bit about it like later on so i don't know i don't know (laughs) barking up the wrong tree here (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) no Uh, okay background let's do it's very short today everyone is going to be a quicker episode in terms of after the after the fucking mess that was the iranian revolution no the iranian revolution was so fun sam that was just a hard topic that you covered there's nothing that could be more boring than margaret thatcher okay margaret no that was good the most no 
We're both okay, hyping okay. each other up, okay? Yeah, we are. Um, we had a rut. Okay. It's natural. It's fine. We're good. So the background, really brief. So yeah. his full name is Grigory Efimovich Rasputin. So Rasputin's his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and his life and death is shrouded in mythology. And he's been made like an almost larger than life figure in Russian history. He's kind of become right. this icon. Right. Um, he is, as we were kind of saying, like best known for his role as a mystical advisor slash like health person mm-hmm. in the court of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. Mm-hmm. But he's also been called a sexual deviant, mystic oh, healer, political yeah. saboteur, and renegade monk. Oh my so God. he's everything. He's, he's heard it all. And <laughs> what, um, just for context, what time period is this, Maria? Like okay. when is Tsar Nicholas II? Tsar Nicholas II is basically like late 19th century. Okay. And then, of course, to like early 20th. Early 20th. Cool. Yeah. And Rasputin kind of comes in in like the early 20th century and is with them for their like last few years as the royal family of Russia. And which, okay, so when is the Russian Revolution? So basically the Bulls or the Russian Revolution started on March 8th, 1917, which is when the royal family was. So Mm. that's kind of, that kind of marks the beginning of it. Yeah. But Rasputin. That's Anastasia, right? Um. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Actually, March 8th isn't the day that the royal family is killed. It's like a week before they are. But oh, yeah, Anastasia is okay. fully based off of this. But Rasputin was yeah. already dead by this point. So um, Rasputin wasn't still oh. hanging around. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm like getting sidetracked here. You're like, wait, like Anastasia isn't a true historical work. <laughs> what? Hold on. Um, also an iconic movie and part of my love for Rasputin comes from that movie itself. There you go. Um, but so... The mysterious Rasputin, he was both reviled and revered during his lifetime, and he did ultimately kind of become a scapegoat for various dissident groups of the time period. So he, right. everything that was seen as bad about the royal family, he kind of seemed to embody by the people that he right. Um okay. And he ultimately died on December 30th, 1916, and his death was super interesting. We'll talk about it later. But that's, cool. that's his little background. Cool, cool, cool. Any questions? No. No. I love it. Ready to go? I love it. Yeah, let's <laughs> I wanna I wanna dive in. Cool. Okay. So details. Um, starting off with baby Rasputin. So little Grigory, he was born to peasants in a small Siberian village in western si- <laughs> I didn't think I wrote Siberia twice here. He was born <laughs> to peasants in a small village in western Siberia in eighteen sixty nine. In case you missed it, he's Siberian. He's small Siberian village, Western Siberia. We all know where we yeah, are. Yeah. And the kind of the interesting thing about this is just more so like he wasn't born into royalty, of course, or like any sort of nobility. So the yeah. fact that he like entered into the royal family later in his life was significant. He's a Kate um, Middleton. He except she was Kate rich. Middleton. My head immediately popped to Kate Goslin. And I was like, how? <laughs> She truly was not royal. <laughs> no, like, Kate Middleton was rich world? though, so it doesn't really count. Yeah, yeah, fair. Well, I guess it does count, but anyways, okay, keep going. <laughs> um, and he did turn to religion early in his life. Um, mm. Even when he was a kid, some of the locals in his village said that like Rasputin had certain mystical gifts. Right. Others, however, also said he was extremely cruel. So, you know, mixed bag that he had going on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, And as a teenager, Rasputin entered the Verkocher Monastery with the intention of becoming a monk, 
but he like right. left shortly afterwards, likely because he wanted to get married. Um, because at 19 years old, he married Prashkovia Dubrovina, and they later had three kids, but two of these children died shortly after birth. So I, right. like with Raspbian, I actually never knew that he was married or even had a wife or any sort yeah. of children, but he was yeah. married the entire time that he was like serving the royals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and when he, we, when you say he was a monk, like, was he like Russian Orthodox? Is um, that what he, he was? was? like orthodox christian but look he was mm-hmm. kind of part of this group i don't know if you've heard of them they're called like the i think it's the keist it's like k-h-y-s-t no i don't know them okay we'll talk about them like super briefly in a sec okay but basically they're like a certain like order that practices christianity in a way that i've never heard of before okay interesting <laughs> mm, <neat. laughs> you're like it's very new to me very interesting wish i was I wish that I was introduced to this form of Christianity as a kid. It's pretty fun. I know. Like, I wish I went to a Keist school. Keist school. Not a Catholic school. All my fellow Keist. <laughs> but despite marrying and fathering several children, he did, like, leave his family in the early 20s in search of, like, Orthodox Christian religious devotion and piety. And he traveled mm. to Greece and the Middle East, making several pilgrimages to the Holy Land. And so I think that's kind sure. of where, like, some of the confusion comes from is because in some accounts, it was, like, his wife didn't mind him being with the royal family when there were rumors swirling about him but then in others it says like he left his family to go to these places so i like to believe he was still married with like a very cool woman but i don't know (laughs) but we don't know we just don't know we just can't know people yeah unless you do better research so yeah (laughs) (laughs) um he failed to become a monk which was kind of like his end goal at the time i guess um but he like he was wandering around doing religious teachings and eventually he ends up in St. Petersburg in 1903, which was the seat of royal power. And two years later, so 1905 through various connections, Rasputin gets to meet Tsar Nicholas and his wife, the Tsarina Alexandra. And so for reference by this time in his life, Rasputin was proclaiming himself to be a healer with the ability to predict the future. So he had developed his brand, his girl boss brand. He knew. Yeah, he was that's a t- <laughs> So is that how like he got to kind of meet them? Was because they had this kid that was sick? Like was like how did I'm just like you know he's kind of like he comes from like a a commoner background. How yes. does he end up like? I think yeah, it might be partially you know. that in all things like that I read. It's just like through connections, but it doesn't okay, say like, like how he was connected, specify. who those people yeah, were. Yeah, okay, et that's okay. Yeah, But I think the reason that he gets to stay around is because of his healing capabilities. But before we dive into like his relationship with the royal family, a little background on Russia, just in general, what's going on at the time, how people are feeling. Rasputin, Rasputin, God, will I ever pronounce anything right on this show? Like aspartame. (laughs) Rasputin came at a pretty bad time for the monarchy. He did not hit them at their stride. Um, To run down a short list. Russia at the time was just defeated by the Japanese in the Russo-Japanese War that took place between 1904 to 1905, the first time in modern history that a European power lost to an Asian power. So, a bit right. embarrassing for them. Right. Then Bloody Sunday in January 1905. Then you have the Tsar's reluctance to grant meaningful powers to the Duma, which was like the Legislative Assembly, in mm-hmm. 1906. Then a little bit after Rasputin came, there was industrial unrest, and there was continuous demand at the time amongst peasants for land. So essentially, like, when Rasputin walked in, there were all these, like, background tensions that were developing 
and also continuing during his time with the royal family. So he kind of came when all this came to a head. Right. Yeah. And so basically when Rasputin meets the Tsar and Tsarina, the two were really desperate, as we were saying, to find a cure for their son's hemophilia. And his Mm -hmm. name was Alexei Nikolaevich. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people say Alexis. I like Alexei better. Okay. (laughs) Or Alexei. Yeah, you do that. (laughs) Thanks. Um, And so they were really worried about their son. He wasn't doing well. And so they called on Rasputin for help. And with Rasputin, the bleeding seemed to stop for some time. And so for anyone who like doesn't really know what hemophilia is, essentially it's like a bleeding disorder where your blood just doesn't clot properly. And so at the time back then, people would die fairly young when they had this disease. Right. So it was very worrisome because he was also, Alexei was the only male heir. He was like the only son. Right. And so they, the Zarin's arena already had, I think it was five other girls before they had Alexei. And so it was, they needed him to stay alive. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and so some, oh, did, sorry, did you want to explain anything more about hemophilia? Like, is there anything more to it than blood clotting? Like, no? I don't, I not anything that I know. Like, that's the basics. <laughs> Nothing I can add, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but basically, what I find really funny is because in all accounts that I've ever read before about Rasputin, it's like, somehow he helped. Like, who knows what healing powers he had? Yeah. But historians more recently are like, what, what doctors used to do at the time was they didn't have a, obviously a great understanding of all these various diseases. And so right. one of the common things that they would prescribe almost every patient was aspirin. Well, oh. guess what doesn't do well when you <laughs> have hemophilia? Because yeah. aspirin is a blood thinner. So if right, your blood right, already right. doesn't clot, Plot. aspirin is going to do the exact opposite of what you've ever wanted it to oh, do. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. So basically, Rasputin came and said, we're stopping all these medications. Right. And because of that, Alexei got better. But right. it wasn't because of anything that Rasputin really did. He just basically was like, we're, we're stopping giving we're him aspirin. taking you off aspirin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, it's hard to say if he had any like, mystical powers. It seemed like... It, right. Um, but anyways, because Alexandra saw Alexei like get better immediately and that success of his recovery she yeah. immediately enlisted the services of Rasputin as a close advisor so he that's what brought him in right away right so basically Rasputin's now in the royal court hey hello now we have sexual deviancy that's beginning to spread with the time in the royal right. court we have rumors going around little rascal <laughs> little rascal and also during this time he was drinking heavily and visiting brothels mm-hmm which was viewed to be like fairly eccentric behavior, especially because he preached himself to be like a very religious, holy man. And so this behavior really clashed with like the religious piety he was preaching. Right. And when you say like sexual deviancy, are you talking about the rumors that he was having sex with the Serena or? Sex with the Serena, but also um, I think sex with a lot of potential sex workers um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, inclu- so yeah, I think gosh. he was just, like, very much um, having a good time in Russia. Okay, so sexually deviant, yeah, okay, so hooking up with yeah. Serena, maybe, and, yeah, having sex with, with sex workers. Yes. But he's supposed to be this very pious man. Yes, um, and so gotcha. this is where we kind of get into, like, some historians who believe that he was a member, or, like, at least influenced by 
Oh, I'm looking at the spelling now. I think it might be Kleist. There's an L in there. K-H-Y-L-S-T. Right. Look at me just tossing around hor- horrific words, completely incorrect. But anyways, they're a religious sect who views sinful behavior as actually bringing a person closer to God. Interesting. Okay. So that could like maybe explain some of his behavior potentially. I didn't read right. into it, so I don't actually know how accurate this is. This is from Time Magazine, right. so I do tend to believe it's fairly okay. accurate. Right. But um, yeah. I don't actually know what that religious sect believes is like sinful slash contributing right. to God. I don't know. But. Right. Yeah. Maybe he did, or he was maybe just a hypocrite. I don't know if anyone's considered that. But. <laughs> it's like, hey, maybe it's not for any other reason. He's just like a normal person who... <laughs> Well, I just think of, like, I even just think of, like, all those, like, major, like, televangelists in the U.S. who have, like, get caught up for, like, fraud or, like, or, like, yeah, having sex with sex workers (laughs) or, like, even, Mm -hmm. even, like, the people who are trying to, like, the conversion therapy people in the U.S., like, those religious leaders who then come out to be gay themselves and, like, or are secretly having sex with other men. Oh, we were actually having real issues internally, hey? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, it's like, I get, like, you have all those problems, but maybe don't, like, act it out on other people. Like, don't maybe harm other people while you're working through all this. Exactly, exactly. But anyways, yeah. Um, Despite that, though, to be fair, in the Times article, they say there's, like, not really a whole lot of evidence. Whoa. I'll take a moment. You're you're amongst friends here. (laughs) 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 Evidence. So nervous. (laughs) So scared. Um, There's not really a whole lot of evidence to substantiate the claim that he was a sex crazed maniac who had a secret affair with Alexandra. Like, I think that was a rumor that was really spread by people who hated him. And also Mm, at the time you were finally getting a little bit more free speech in Russia. And so it allowed like papers to kind of print out a bunch of rumors about people close to the Royals that I think like took a lot of hold in Russian society and beliefs. Right. Well, Hey, you know, some things change and, and some things don't. And something that never changes is, is the some haters. Like we know. never change. <laughs> like the haters. We know we have such vicious haters on this pod because we're oh. so wildly successful. So in that way, we kind of empathize with the rest of you. But sometimes the things they print are true. Like they say, Maria is so hot. And it's like, you're right. Like it's hard <laughs> like, to disagree. What? <laughs> Let that rumor like, take hold. Let it spin. Hundreds of hundreds of suitors chase after maria it's like oh my god don't oh my publish god, stop that. it stop publishing that though it people. is true though it is true yeah, of course um but of course much like the rest of his life rasputin's sexual behaviors were greatly exaggerated and mm-hmm. following the february revolution 1917 they were embellished by his enemies in order to damage his reputation so really what things were just thrown kind of at him right and because of rasputin's constant presence in the royal court there were also rumors that he was like a puppet master over the royal couple. That was a commonly viewed mm. thing, that he was controlling them, his mystic powers. And this was, of course, mm, exacerbated by the fact that Alexandra was increasingly dependent on Rasputin and his apparent healing abilities with Alexei. So, you know, they, it fueled right. the flame. <laughs> Right. And if you're trying to project this image of like a stable monarchy in the middle of this political crisis, it's maybe not like, that's maybe not helpful. Exactly. Exactly. And so occasionally Rasputin did offer military advice, of course, as well as with medical help. But this military advice, this is going to be important in terms of thinking of Rasputin as a scapegoat. Right. So bit of context, what's happening in Russia? Rasputin has been in the court for a little bit. Things aren't going so well. World War I comes. 
So Tsar Nicholas, before this point, he was already viewed as like a very ineffective ruler. He right. made poor decisions that worsened relations with the government, increased hardships for, for civilians. And in a classic monarchist move, he refused to accept any reduction in the absolute power he held. And so nice. although they had the Duma, which was like the legislative assembly, right. he didn't want it to have any sort of power the way that yeah. you kind of already had working in England, you know? Um, yeah. So it just kind of meant that those people who were elected on behalf of like more regular civilians were not being listened to. Right. Um, he was very detached from any of the hardships of his own peoples and his policies really worked to alienate ethnic minorities. So right. all in all, very unpopular leader. Yeah, yeah. So then you have World War I comes up and the Duma wanted to have more control over the war. They're like, right. we kind of want to have a say on how we like operate in this thing. Right. In response to this in 1915, Nicholas decides to close the Duma. So only one year oh. after the war starts, he goes, now we're shutting it down, alienating mm. a ton of elected officials. Mm -hmm. And so instead, what Nicholas does, which is perhaps one of the dumbest moves in history. Oh my God, is ever? He, <laughs> ever. I would argue, yeah. at least in Russian history, one of, the, one of the worst moves. Okay, okay, yeah. He decides to take personal control over the armies in August 1915 making okay. himself commander-in-chief of the Russian army during the war. And right. this was under the advice of both Rasputin and his wife, Serena Alexandra. They were mm -hmm. like, yeah, take charge, go for it. Yeah. Can you think of why maybe that wasn't a good decision? Because when shit hits the fan, then they have him to blame. Hundred percent, exactly. <laughs> Literally, when anything bad happens, when Russia has any losses, it immediately becomes... Nicholas's yes, fault yeah. and the royal family's fault that Russia's losing. And right. it's, it's at a bad time because the Russians already don't like you. So it's like, that's yeah. not a great it's way like, to don't do that. save yourself. And no. so Nicholas really became the target of blame for Russia's defeats on the battlefield. And beyond that, he also sucked at strategizing for war. So like, mm. it wasn't even someone they were keen to have in charge. Like he was already bad at the job. And then right. you want to like it's so bad all around, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, Nicholas had to go to Eastern Europe to take control of these military operations. Mm -hmm. So Alexandra becomes Russia's leader, essentially. She kind of takes mm -hmm. over domestic affairs. Right. But although she's in charge, Rasputin wielded a significant amount of power because he was her closest advisor. And so she right. would defer to him for anything that she needed an opinion on. Right. And so what ended up happening is that Alexander dismissed really competent ministers who were like suspicious of Rasputin and his power. And because there were government officials who were saying like, he's, he has excessive influence. Like he's influencing too much what's going on here. Right. And so she would get rid of them and then bring in people who would just like blindly follow. Right. Um, and continue to defend mm -hmm. Rasputin. And so things were getting worse. <laughs> yeah, that's not, yeah. And so it's also important to note, like, not only was it bad for the monarchy that Nicholas was now leading the army, but it was bad that Alexander was in charge of domestic affairs during the war because the Russians didn't love her. Yeah. And that's for various reasons. One is, like, from the start of her marriage to Nicholas, Alexandra, in, like, a very Marie Antoinette-esque kind of way, right. said she didn't think it was her job to make the Russian public like her. As Zarina, yeah. they would automatically love her. That's what she believed. Okay. Not true because she's not Russian. 
Like she wasn't oh, born in Russia. She's right. not Russian. So, and here's where it really bites them in the butt during World War One is that Alexandra's actually German. Right. And so there was this sentiment when Russia was losing all these battles in the war that maybe her loyalties were lying elsewhere. Right. And that gotcha. this would help explain why Nicholas was losing in all these battles, etc. The monarchy actually didn't care about their civilians. Yeah. So bad, bad, bad. This is not good. Yeah. <laughs> not good. And so this is especially bad for Rasputin in the background, just because Russia's experiencing, like by 1916, Russia's experiencing all these hardships, immense losses at home. And then those swirling rumors about Alexandra and Rasputin sleeping together because Nicholas is gone. Those are becoming like even more intense. Yeah. And so it's kind of this very big buildup. And Rasputin is seeming to embody all these things that are going wrong with the monarchy without actually being part of the monarchy. Yeah. And so um, although there were like, of course, long-term failures for the fall of the Romanovs, which we kind of talked about earlier, their failure in the war was really the immediate cause. That was kind of the catalyst for everything that happened. Right. I see. And so Rasputin's behavior and influence, it really came to symbolize everything negative in Russian politics and society at the time. <laughs> it was not, he was not, not to a good blame place. Him, but, uh... but you know, um, yeah, he became a scapegoat for a bunch of these things. Right. And basically what ended up happening was that the public thought um, Rasputin had a greater impact than what his actual views and activities were doing. And right. so the public was kind of built up to think he had all this power when in reality he like, he had a significant amount, but he wasn't actually this horrible overseeing puppet kind of master, being. Yeah, yeah, puppet master. Um, but that doesn't matter. Once public opinion is against you, it's yeah, that way. it's kind of done. And so this, of course, fueled demands that he be removed from his position of influence mm. by any means necessary. Right. And he was before even his assassination, which we'll talk about in a sec someone else tried to kill him. So in June of 1914, a beggar woman stabbed him in the stomach, claiming that he was like seducing the innocent. I don't know. Okay. I don't know who the innocent are in this one. I don't know who right. that's Alexandra or sex worker. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he ended up making a full recovery, even though like he lost yeah. a lot of blood from it. and was pretty close to death after it happened. Right. But that was the first attempt to kill him. The okay. second more iconic attempt comes in 1916, December 30th, 1916. Right. So basically there was a group of nobles led by Prince Felix Yusupov, who was the richest man in Russia and apparently enjoyed cross-dressing, which I was like, that's kind of fun. Um, Fun little fact. (laughs) Cool. So they were plotting to kill Rasputin. Hmm. And their reasoning for this was by removing Rasputin, they believed it would give Nicholas one last chance to restore his reputation and the prestige of the monarchy. They felt Mm, like, okay, okay. without him, public opinion can shift. We can get it back. Right. And of course they also wanted this because they're nobility and stuff. So if the Royal family falls, you fall too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. And so with Rasputin gone, they believed that the czar would be more open to the advice of his family, the nobility and the Duma, and then like less dependent on Alexandra who people hated. Right. Um, And so enter in, Rasputin's assassination an amazing story so these nobles they're like Rasputin come over for a meal at Yusupov's house like we're having a party come over right Rasputin comes over he enjoys the whole meal he eats his meal drinks his wine has his desserts yeah 
all of which were supposed to be laced with cyanide. Oh my he God. shows zero symptoms, not a singular <laughs> symptom. And so they're all sitting there. They're like shocked. They're like, how is this man yep, not how died? How is he here? Yeah. And it's even like in the Bonium song, Rasputin, in one of like the chorus, it's like, it's like, rah, rah, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. They put some poison into his wine. Rah, rah, Rasputin, um, Russia's greatest love machine. He drank it all and said, I feel fine. Right. So it's okay. like, they reference it. They got it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Um, so then poison doesn't work. They try shooting him and like, not just like multiple, like apparently according to like legend, they were all trying to shoot him. Barrage of bullets, still breathing, didn't die. So then they bring him to the river, ice cold river, December, Russia, and they drown him. And that's what did the trick. Wow. And then there's some legends even that will say that after being thrown into the river, he was yeah, fished he... out by some people along like in a couple of days later and was still yeah. alive. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So basically he was hard to kill. He was a man who wanted to yeah. live. Um, but of course, like while Raskin's death was plotted by Yuzupov and other nobles, autopsy reports show that like there wasn't actually poison in his system. So either mm-hmm. they, someone forgot their job that evening or that's uh, not actually true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, um, but he does seem to have died just from a single bullet to the head. That's what right. ended up killing him. It wasn't all these steps. Right. But right. his body was thrown into the Malaya Nevka River, and it took days for the police to find his body. So he was thrown into the river, but they, it wasn't drowning that killed him. Right. Gotcha. And the responses to his death were like definitely mixed. Um, For the elite, of course, they were happy because they felt like the current system could now stay in place and Nicholas could win back the people. For the peasantry, however, amongst those who like didn't hate the royal family, I get like, it's just sort of weird because of course some of the peasantry like wanted the royals down. But for some of them, they kind of viewed Rasputin as one of their own because he wasn't Mm. born into this elite family. He came kind of from them and entered in. And so for them, they viewed it as like another example of the military, or sorry, not the military, the nobility controlling the czar. So it's like, once again, the czar is being weak and effective. Other people are ruling for him. Right. So it didn't play out well. So no one's happy, really. No one's happy. As a bit of a creepy note, like Mm -hmm. we did say, like Rasputin himself saw himself not only as a healer, but a predictor of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he did write in a, like in a letter to Nicholas shortly before he died, he said, if he was killed by government officials, the entire imperial family would be killed by the Russian people. Right. And just a couple months later, that's exactly what happened when the czar, yeah. his wife, and all their children were murdered by assassins. Right. So Rasputin kind of knew what was going on. He saw it coming. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of just like a, like, don't let me be killed. Right. Like, and kind please of then don't. predicting something obvious. Like, yes. He saw the tides uh, returning. He was worried. Yeah. But, like, sure. But we can say he predicted. I like future. to believe that Rasputin had these mystical. He's honestly such a creepy looking dude. Like, if you Google yeah, photos of him, it's not even yeah. like photos where he's intended to look bad. It's like yeah. photos where he's posed with the royal family where they all look normal and he's staring yeah. at the camera and it's like he is. A frightening man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that's really it. That's all I have to say about Rasputin. Love him. Love him. Iconic man.
Refton, the song by Boney M is one of my favorites. And in swimming, mm. we, um, at university before our championships, everyone had to submit their like hype song. Yeah. And then we would put it onto a playlist and listen to it on the bus ride to wherever yeah. we were going. And mine was Rasputin. Such Naturally. a good song. Naturally. It's like, how <laughs> can you not when like they're all trying like, hey, hey, hey. Like you get like you get it. <laughs> it's like Russian dance circle. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So anyways. Uh, I'm so I'm okay. truly dripping here. And um, how was your snack? Oh, it's so yummy. I yeah. have to say, like I do. Their croissant is phenomenal, but it's also like rhubarb and almost like custardy creamy. So it's not just like right. rhubarb can be very sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like a mixture almost where there is some like cream to tame down the like acidity of it. Right. So it's it's fantastic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. How's your Pinot Chocolat? It's good. Um, that's such a great French accent you have. Thanks. Um, People say that all the time. <laughs> when you call bread pain. <laughs> How is your pain? Um, no, <laughs> it's good. How do you good. say it? Pain? Pain. It's more like, yeah. Oh, God. I'm this is like really me pronouncing dairy, either. but not saying an Irish accent, so I like butcher it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. Here <laughs> <laughs> I was listening. Um, no, so it, it was good. It was very good. It is not up there with that other croissant that I got a couple weeks ago from Bino that I was freaking out about. Ooh, okay. But it is like, it is a really good croissant. Yes. So like, I don't want people to think it's not good and that they shouldn't go there. Like it's a really right. cute place and it has like lots of great stuff, but okay. it just, it If you're looking for the Bino best bar. chocolate croissant in Calgary, yeah. it's not it. It's not there. No, but the, I mean, the other thing is the Bino croissants sell out like immediately, like at like right. 8am. And like, I was able to go to, to this place at like 11 and get a chocolate croissant. So right, right. it's a good kind of backup, I guess, if you yeah. are craving one, I would say. Okay. That's fair. So yeah, it was good. It was good. Cool. Not like changing, but good. <laughs> I am still the same person I was when I bit into it, but. <laughs> okay. And do you have any Rasputin significance? I do. Um, it's kind of minor just because like Rasputin's significance beyond just being like an iconic figure and like Russian legend history, et cetera, is a little bit disputed. Yeah. Some will say that he was kind of one of, one of the causes of the, the fall of the Roman the Roman. Fuck. <laughs> the Russian family. <laughs> she actually, yeah. Where am He's I? He's a time traveler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Some will say that he was like one of the causes for their like demise, but in right. others, it's like not really, like they kind of were their own doing. It wasn't really him right. so much. But anyways, basically to the dismay of user Pav and his co-conspirator, co-conspirators, Rashidin's murder didn't lead to a radical change in Nicholas and Alexander's politics, and it yeah. was really their politics that brought them down. Yeah. So to the Bolsheviks, who were obviously coming hot onto the scene, Rasputin's death to them symbolized corruption at the heart of the imperial court, and his murder was seen as like an attempt by no- nobility to hold on to power, which right. it obviously was. Yeah. And so his death didn't do any favors for the nobility amongst an already right. unhappy like middle right. lower class who are against the nobility and exactly the, yeah and so on march 15th 1917 so the russian the bull yes the russian revolution starts on march 8th yeah march 15th czar nicholas he abdicates the russian throne as a result of like the february revolution okay. and 
his family is murdered. The following year, the Bolsheviks eliminated the last vestiges of the Romanov dynasty. That's why I said Roman. It's the Romanovs. Oh, oh that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. sense how yeah, I that's, that, there, that, there's where it's coming from. Okay. I was like, where did I pull that out? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, several historians have like obviously speculated that Rasputin's influence did play a role in the contempt for the royal family, the dislike, and everything right. it came to represent. Um, and even like Alexander Kerensky, who like following the Russian Revolution, he was the leader of the provisional government that formed after. Yeah. He said, without Rasputin, we wouldn't have Lenin. So it is yeah. kind of like he is seen as like, uh, like a part of that group that was right. a catalyst for the revolution, even amongst right. people at the time, even if, it, even if historians say now, not so much people at the time felt a certain way. So that's significant. Um, right. But yeah, you can always debate like his significance and whether he actually right. caused it or not. But I like yeah. to believe maybe a little bit. He was bad. a big player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks Marge. That was yeah. interesting. Just a quick little one about a creepy man. <laughs> yeah, we love that. History love of creepy it. men. Yeah. <laughs> so would you recommend your your cafe? Yeah? Yeah, I would. They have some cool stuff. Like I would I would go back and I'd maybe try other stuff too. Okay. I would like say... they have kind of like sorry, they have other croissants oh. that have like those swirly things that you were talking Ooh. about. Like that are like so I wanna try one of those. But anyways. Yes. Um what are you are you going back to, yeah. to your place? Yeah. Yeah. My dad, like, even, like, he bit into the croissant I got him. He goes, yeah, we're coming back here. And I was like, cool. So That's all it took. One it's bite. It's well loved. One bite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. That's, okay. That's it for today from me. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. I will say, I have, <laughs> I decided in, in two episodes ago when I was ranting, as per usual, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I did talk about the books I was reading, and I have new book updates. Okay. So I finished In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Um, right. I don't know that I would recommend it. Okay. Unless you're like really, it's just basically like, it's very much like a, it reads like a true crime thing, but like, it's like once they find out who the killers are, it then continues for another 150 pages of like them being in prison, them like being like charged. It's, it's like, okay. Right. You're like, why. I'm not into the legal side. No, like you could have stopped yeah. once they were caught. Right. Um, but then I'm now reading iconic book amongst all of true crime junkies. I'm reading Anne Rule's book about Ted Bundy. It's oh. The Stranger Beside Me. And basically mm. she worked with Ted, like basically Ted Bundy, like when he was still in Seattle, was working at a call center at a crisis line. Yeah. And he would actually talk people like out of suicide. Oh my God, I didn't know that. And so she worked alongside him as like a volunteer and they would yeah. work together like late nights, et cetera. And she was his friend and then come to discover like when things were coming out there, like when police were putting out info being like they're the person we're looking for is like, Ted, he drives a, like a cream color Volkswagen or whatever. Right. She would call in and be like, this is the guy I work with has this. She goes, it can't be him, but I should let you know just in case. But even she didn't believe it when all right. the evidence was stacked up against him. So right. it's very interesting thus far. Oh, very creepy. excited. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is not for crazy. me. Not for me. But. No, it's not for you. That's fair. That's not for you. Yeah, that's for me. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, we're happy to have you in this heat wave. <laughs> yeah. Stay cool. Drink water. Stay hydrated, everyone. <laughs> Stay hydrated, you guys. So important. So important. So important. And we'll talk yeah. to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye.